Hello and welcome to Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. Today I'm joined by Ruth Ann Armstrong. She is a senior at Stanford University from Spanish Town, Jamaica, majoring in computer science and minoring in economics. Outside of classes, she is involved in the Stanford Black Society of Engineers, the Stanford Daily, the Caribbean Students Association, and Stanford Women in Engineering. Ruth Ann, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I just am blown away by the, the list of extracurriculars that you're involved in. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite experience that you've had with one of those groups? Um, I think for me, the group that I've like had the most memorable experiences with is the Caribbean Student Association. Mm -hmm. Just because, like as an international student, it's been an adjustment to like leave home and come here for school. And I think that CSA has been the community that has always been there that um like keeps me grounded and connected to home. Yeah, because that's that's a huge leap to take. What was it that made you decide that you wanted to take a huge jump and come to the US and and go to Stanford? Um, so in my country, which is Jamaica, mm -hmm. um often the career that people kind of get pigeonholed into sometimes is either medicine or law. And um, shortly before high school finished, I realized that I love CS a lot. Like I enjoyed programming. Um, we had learned to code in C. And I remember we had like a final project one year that I was just like very excited about doing. And I kind of wanted to like not be limited just by Jamaica when it came to my learning. And um, yeah, like Stanford is one of the best um, tech schools in the world. We're in the heart of Silicon Valley. And there were people from my high school that had come to Stanford. So it seemed doable. Um, so I think that's the reason I decided to apply. That makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, what were the kind of support systems that you relied on? Because I personally know that going into that level of the unknown and dealing with all of those things simultaneously would be a lot to take on that I would find that daunting. So were you relying on friends or teachers or other mentors in that whole process? Um, yeah, it definitely was daunting. Um, but there is there was a um, company in Jamaica called AIM. It's like an educational services thing and they kind of like help students who um, want to study abroad from Jamaica. So they were pretty helpful. Um, I also had like friends who were also applying to schools abroad who provided a support system. Um, and then of course my family. Um, my mom was always there helping me to research. My sister Rachel um, and my dad were like always suggesting potential schools. So I think it's like been a big mix of different people who helped me to adjust and make that leap. I'm really glad that you were able to have all of that because I've always thought that there are sort of two main pieces to being able to feel secure enough to take that kind of jump. And it's seeing that somebody else has done it before you. And mm -hmm. then it's also having a group that cheers you on to go do that. And you had discussed in... Uh, your interview with Women of Silicon Valley a while back, how initially in classes at Stanford, you were hesitant to speak up, but then you realized you didn't need to have 
the perfect idea or a fully formed idea that you could bring a fresh perspective to conversations. So I think that we're all kind of on this constant journey of figuring out how to be comfortable with not being perfect all the time and with trusting our own intuition and perspective. So what what did you do to get to that point and really build yourself up to be able to do that? Um, I think there were so many different levels um, with how I got to that point. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important things was the support system. Like I remembered sometimes I come home from class and um, I say to my roommates, oh, I still have not really contributed much in this class before. Um, and she like basically offered advice to me um, and tell me that like she, she felt that way sometimes too. So it was like kind of good knowing that other people were feeling that way. And it makes sense, right? Because we were all freshmen at like this grand university that we've all like heard about um, as a top school. Mm-hmm. So um, I think having people tell me that, oh, they were going through the same thing and encouraging me was very helpful. And then more practically, I remember I was in a class called Empathy, which is a um, required writing class at Stanford. Mm-hmm. And we have to like prepare discussion topics beforehand. And I noticed that, oh, when I actually prepare something, beforehand like it comes much much more easily like the um i guess confidence to speak up because you know what you're gonna say so Mm -hmm. i think once i realized that i started to um like in my head before raising my hand like kind of bulleting out mentally what i wanted to contribute and i think that made me feel a bit more secure before raising my hand in like my other classes and Doing that repeatedly gave me practice, I think. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like, it became a thing where, oh, something pops into my head and I don't need to, like, go through the whole mental gymnastics where I'm, like, saying, okay, raise your hand now. You got this. Like, it just became natural after a while through practice. Yeah, kind of setting up those those structures to rely upon to provide a bit a bit of a basis to feel more comfortable to do that. That makes a lot of sense. That's something... I've heard a lot from people who have been in similar industries for more years that when they were starting out, it was so essential to have something written down or notes prepared. And then over time, you can kind of build up a bit more comfort with that and not not need the notes as much. But that's that's really good advice. That's something that that I think is incredibly useful. Yeah, it really was useful. Um, Because I think a big part of it um, was also like just me feeling like imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. I think um, like once you get over that mental hurdle of like realizing that, oh, if I speak up, like it's going to be fine. Like people respond well to what I have to add. I think once you get over that mental hurdle, like it becomes a lot easier later. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's one one question that we've gotten a fair amount on on Instagram and social media uh, in terms of kind of navigating college life in terms of safety, like being in a city or being in a more kind of busy area. And if you've ever felt that kind of lack of safety or what you've done, like in the evenings, if you're walking back from a lab and maybe this question doesn't resonate, maybe Stanford is is completely 
um, <laughs> safe at all times. But have you been in situations like that, that you've had to kind of keep your wits about you or be prepared? Um, at Stanford is a generally safe area, but I do remember um, there were some nights where like we had late office hours mm-hmm. and I had to like be in um, a library on the opposite side of campus and like walk back to my dorm alone. Um, and in situations like that, I'd often like call my mom and like have her on speaker or call my um friend and have her on speaker. So I think um again like having people I can rely on to feel safe has helped. Yes. Yep. That that's that's something that friends of mine back in college would do as well. It's it's kind of a, amazing how regardless of the situation, whether it's feeling mentally safe to make a jump or physically safe to walk back from late office hours, it always yeah. comes back to having that that community and those people to rely on. Um, yeah. And in terms of that community, since you're someone who's like blazing this path and, and you know, really <laughs> courageously going forward on this, this path, do you have people you would consider sort of your your road warriors so people in your network who you reach out to for advice who maybe gone through similar processes to what you're going through um i think they're like i guess different tiers of people i'd call road warriors mm-hmm. so like i have my, my very close friends who um like i met in my friend my freshman dorm and people from the caribbean students association who i like reach out to like for everyday things um like I speak to them very frequently so I'm often asking them for advice and then there's also my family um my mom and my sister and my dad frequently ask them for advice um at the next year there are like students um who are like older than me who go to Stanford who I've often relied on especially people from um the Caribbean club Mm -hmm. are like specifically in I think the end of um, either freshman year or like the beginning of like spring and sophomore year or something, I just felt completely directionless and I was kind of like unsure of what I wanted to do in CS. And I texted um, one of the older students from the Caribbean Students Association and I was like, oh, can we have lunch? Like, I'm just completely confused. And I brought my laptop and we like sat down together and just like, made kind of a plan for me um and i feel like that's happened very frequently like there's so many times i reach out to people from um that club who've like helped to provide me guidance Mm -hmm. i say them and then there's people like leah um who works with women of silicon valley who's also done the same thing in the past for me so yeah i think i have a number of road warriors who i reach out to like at different um i guess levels of seriousness almost Mm -hmm. Um, solving my problems. That takes so much vulnerability to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm very lost about this right now and I need support. So I have so much respect that that you were able to be that open with someone and that kind of emotionally exposed with what you were going through because that's so essential to a more productive conversation. And I think right now during the shutdown, because of how how many structures have been stripped away from people. There's a lot of reassessing. I notice in like my friend groups and people I'm in contact with, with 
what they want to do next. And so when you had that planning lunch, was it figuring out a five-year plan? Was it just figuring out what the next step was going to be? What did that kind of look like? Because I know I have friends who think they need to have the next 10 years completely planned out. And then others who think, okay, I just need to know what the next step is and have kind of a vague idea of what the summit is of this mountain I'm climbing. Yeah, honestly, it was kind of a bit of both. Like, I think um, I had like a lot of different things I was thinking about. Like, I, I wanted to study abroad um, mm -hmm. at that time and I needed advice on like where to study abroad. So like that was a more immediate thing that we kind of like brainstormed what the incentives and drawbacks were. Mm -hmm. um, and then like we actually kind of like worked on my four year plan when it comes to like finishing my CS requirements. Nothing like 10 year, of course, because <laughs> I still don't know what I'm going to do 10 years from now. But um, I definitely say it was a lot of different levels. And I think you made a very good point about like um planning horizons, like I think people, especially in my age, often feel like they need to like have the whole thing planned out. And just like personally, my plan for my life has changed so frequently because like we're dynamic people, like we have different experiences that like cause us to want to do different things. Um, so I think, yeah, when planning, it's very important to like give yourself room for um, not needing to have everything perfectly figured out. I completely agree. And that really resonates because before, before the shutdown caused by, you know, everything going on in the world, I very much felt, okay, I rigidly know the things I do and do not want out of my life. And it's like, okay, I know I never want to do this. And I know I definitely want to do this. And the uncertainty of this time has made me realize, wow, yeah, the only guarantee is that nothing is guaranteed. And yeah sometimes being having a plan as a basis but then being open to spontaneity like that's very often what i'm now finding to be a better approach because you're completely right everything can shift and you can take in new information that ch totally changes your perspective or what you want and it's good to be open to that for sure during during the whole shutdown that we're in have you notice your perspective about anything shift or have you come to any realizations during this time hmm. i think um i guess i wouldn't say that this is much of a shift but like more of a realization mm -hmm. i remember at the beginning of um the shutdown for some reason i thought that like oh i'm gonna have more time so i should just like try to do a lot more stuff <laughs> um and i think um yeah like even though there's more time like there's a mental adjustment that you have to like make this whole new situation um so i think i've realized that it's very important to like make space for that kind of thing and to like not overburden myself um at the get-go and i think that's something that um i've been learning to do more effectively like i've learned um to say no to things if i can't um like deal with doing that while balancing my other responsibilities. Um, so that's one thing I've learned. Um, and I guess another thing I've learned is just the importance of um, like maintaining relationships with people. Um, like there are some friends who I didn't see that frequently, like in real life, who I've been reaching out more to during the um, shutdown. 
Um, yeah, so like, I realized the importance of managing my time better and like giving myself room for like relaxation um, and also the importance of maintaining like all of my relationships. Yep, I, I completely agree. It's I've been in much more contact with friends who live on the opposite coast who I haven't, you know, seen in person in a while. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I completely agree at the same time that there was this perception that, oh, we have all of this extra time because there are certain things we can't do now. But at the same time, all of us are trying to mentally deal with just constant information overflow and um, trying to take in so much every every day and process that and so that's kind of where the time has gone in large part I've found is to consistently working through understanding just what's happening around us yeah um I am going to kind of pivot us a little bit over to the sort of rapid fire Q&A section you don't have to answer these super quickly, but they're a little bit a lighter and less in depth. Uh, so for starters, uh, what app do you find yourself using the most? Um, definitely Twitter. Like Twitter is definitely my favorite app just because of like the diversity of like perspectives mm -hmm. and the speed with which like you get information on Twitter. And it's also like a very funny app. <laughs> like people the community is very hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> then you must be following the the right accounts on Twitter because I feel like so much of what someone's experience is on a social media app depends on what sort of community they create for themselves. So I'm glad that you found <laughs> a funny one as opposed to really dark and down one. So that that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is something small you do maybe every day, week, or month that makes you feel upbeat or inspired? Hmm. Um, I guess one thing I do very frequently is call my younger sister, Rachel. Um, like, yeah, she's, you know, like, she's 16 years old. Um, she's planning out her life and stuff. And, like, it's very, like, she's a very cool person. Um, so that's one thing. And then she's also, like, very passionate about things. So talking to her makes me feel very inspired. And then another thing I do, like sometimes I just like put music on in my room and like dance, like, you know, especially now because I'm not moving around that much. That's something else. That is, yeah, that's so good. I was listening to another podcast episode um, by Sahara Rose and she was talking about how dance is so essential, especially right now because we're all so in our heads during this time and so reconnecting with your body and feeling more grounded is yeah i'm i'm a, a huge fan of of that especially yeah during this time when movement is not as easy to gain access to yeah um and then living in such a tech focused space what's your favorite analog activity um i really enjoy writing poetry um just like as a fun thing because <laughs> like i like writing like most, this, I think this is like different from a lot of other people. Like most of the poems that I write like rhyme because I just like enjoy playing with words. Mm -hmm. And it's also like a very good way to like work through um, what's happening around me. Yes. Yeah. Having that artistic outlet. Do you have favorite poets whose work you're inspired by or do you listen to your own kind of inner poetic voice when you're working on that? Hmm, that's a good question. Um. I can't 
think well there's one Jamaican poet called um Olive Senior and she just like has such a diverse like set of styles that she like writes in and I think that kind of inspired me. Um like I studied like literature in high school so I was exposed to like a lot of different poetic styles and hers really stood out to me. Um but apart from that I wouldn't say that I have any direct inspiration. Um, but she's the closest person I can think of to a direct inspiration. Nice. I'll have to look into her poetry because I am always always looking for new poetic inspiration. So that sounds really yeah. lovely. And Thank then um, to kind of close things out, since you're you know finishing up your your time at at Stanford, what's what's next? What what are you looking forward to next in your plans? Hmm. Right now, I'm not fully sure. I definitely <laughs> want to go to grad school. Um, so I'm thinking of like doing um either the co-term, which is a one-year master's, or the PhD. So that's something I'm like still working through. Um, I know that after graduating, generally, like I want to work in tech for a while because I really do enjoy coding. And um, I think like working in Silicon Valley. Just from internships, it's been like really cool to be around people who are like doing big impact things and who passionately care about like contributing to the world through coding. So um yeah, that's what the next few years are looking like for me. Well, I'll be very excited to to see as that all unfolds because especially given the fact that your motivation for doing it is that impact and and how it affects people. That's that's really what we need more of in the tech space. So I'm looking forward to seeing seeing you do that work. Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast, Ruth Ann. And always feel free to reach out if you need need anything from, from me or the rest of the women of Silicon Valley team. Yeah, definitely. This was very fun. I really enjoyed um this. <laughs> <laughs>